Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer, it's good! Brooks Hall hits it at the buzzer, the Dayton Flyers! Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon! This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back. This is Talking Out Loud. I'm your boy, Sully. And this is the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers Hoops. Great to have you in for another hour, maybe a little bit less than an hour this week. We're going to be coming at you with two episodes actually this week because I'm feeling like it. And I'm really feeling like we need to get on the mic and talk some Dayton Flyers Hoops. So let's do it. My boy Stu uh, has the scoop on UMass, who Dayton's going to be taking on Wednesday evening. They finally come back home after that trip to Philly, and they will take on the Minutemen, 7 p.m. Eastern tip at UD Arena. So on the back half of the show, my guy Stu is here with me. He's going to preview UMass because I don't know a damn thing about UMass other than the fact that they ain't very good. Coming off the weekend, the Flyers again take care of business. They go to Philly. They beat St. Joe's. And, you know, that's where I want to start the show tonight because while it was uh, a necessary win for our Dayton Flyers, I want to make sure that excitement is tempered over things that, frankly, should happen as opposed to, you know, going to Philly and gutting out a win. I know in Dayton Flyer land, you know, we love to kind of. I'm not make excuses for things, but we like to paint the narrative in a certain light uh, to make it seem like things are maybe a little bit more difficult than they actually are. You know, for years we had the the boogeyman thing at Hagen Arena. You couldn't go to St. Joe's and get a win. And you know, the boogeyman theory and the house of horrors BS, you know, frankly, that's just kind of something that we come up with as fans to justify the losing that's done. Uh, in Philadelphia, 
But consider this, um, you know, the Dayton Flyers are now right hovering around the top 50 in just about every metric. We're going to get to the resume conversation here in a minute before I bring on Stu uh, to preview the UMass game. But keeping it focused on this weekend, you know, we we talk about how Flyers historically have trouble playing in Philadelphia. They historically have a trouble winning at Hagen Arena. And that much is true before the 2020 season. The last win that Dayton had at Hagen Arena against St. Joe's was in the 2002 season uh, where they got an 81-74 win. So, you know, you got it right. If you go all the way back to 2002, that means Brian Gregory never got a win at Hagen Arena. Neither did Archie Miller. But now the Flyers have won two of their last three uh, against the Hawks in their home building. And... What I wanted to consider to start the show is that this is not something that we should really uh, be overly excited about beyond the obvious that this was just business that needed to get done. You're talking about a St. Joe's program that hasn't won 10 games in conference for five years now. You're talking about a St. Joe's program that hasn't been to the uh, NCAA tournament since 2016 and in that time since 2016 St. Joe's has never even broken into the top 100 as a program you're talking about a St. Joe's program that fired one of the better older coaches in America Phil Martelli let him walk over to Michigan and jump on to Juwan Howard's staff gonna leave that Michigan conversation for somebody else's podcast this week but This is not the storied program of St. Joe's that we're accustomed to as Flyer fans. This house of horrors, Hagen Arena, isn't that way anymore. You know, St. Joe's is in the midst of, you know, I don't even think it's fair to call it a rebuilding period anymore. Maybe it is because they've taken steps up in the Billy Lang era, six wins in 2020, and then five wins uh, and a 5-15 and record last season in 2021. So they're emerging out of a rebuild, but this is just not the same program that used to give Dayton fits. It's not chock full of NBA talent like it used to be. They were kind of a farm for churning out one or two guys a year that would go to the league, and it's just not that way anymore. So frankly, what I was feeling um, on Saturday afternoon is relief that Dayton avoided the landmine and got a necessary win as opposed to kind of being excited about getting that road win and gutting it out. And, oh, you know, any win in college basketball on the road is great. That's true. But all those wins are not created equal. I wanted to start the show tonight because we, right there, because we needed to, again, temper expectations. This isn't the Raw Raw show, and I'm glad to have you with uh, alongside the ride here. And, you know, I, I think starting the show there was was kind of apt because with the win, uh, the Flyers find themselves, you know, back in that bubble conversation. They've been creeping towards it for the better part of February now. Um, I think going into the St. Louis game on the 5th of February, I think there was a lot of, there was some fervor, you know, if, if I dare say. There was fervor that possibly Dayton could jump onto the bubble conversation. And then right when they were starting to emerge and turn some heads, and maybe their resume is going to be good enough. They went and took that loss to St. Louis, but the same thing has happened again. Dayton's now winners four in a row, seven of their last eight since losing to George Mason, and of course, that includes the season sweep of Rhode Island and that drubbing at VCU quad one game that the Flyers ended up winning by 30. 
So that leads us to the bubble conversation. Where do we sit? You know, I had a big long thread on Twitter today. If you uh, don't follow me, I kind of wanted to go into a little bit more detail. But if you're sitting there as a Flyers fan saying, well, what can we realistically expect coming down the pipe here? Well, if you look down the Flyers resume as it sits today, recording this one on Monday night, February 21st, The big problem that Dayton is having beyond the obvious three losses to start the season that are stuck to their ribs like good barbecue, um, you know, the Miami win hasn't done favors for UD because it's now a quad two. Uh, You got to be in the top 50 to be a quad one game on a neutral court. Uh, I'm going to try and go through this slowly because regurgitating the quadrant system isn't the best radio out there, to be quite honest with you, but... I just want to, to frame the conversation. You know, when we have the, the bubble talk, the Quadrant 1 and 2 records are what matter. The Quadrant 4, 3, and 4 games don't matter as long as you win them. And, of course, we didn't win them to start the year. I know that we've talked this to death. And, again, these three losses are going to keep coming up in the conversation. So bear with as we walk through this. But as it sits on this day of our Lord, the Flyers are 2-2 two and two in the Quad 1. And they're five and three in the quad two. Now, that alone would have been enough to put them squarely on the bubble without those three losses. With the whole body of work, it's just not enough. And right now, Flyers find themselves anywhere from about the eighth to the 12th team out of the tournament, meaning they're going to have to jump seven to 10 teams to really seriously get into the bubble conversation. So I mentioned that Miami is, is creep back, that's a Q2 game. Belmont, same thing. Because they play in the OVC, they don't have any quality games. I mean, Belmont in the Ohio Valley Conference has played one game that is not a quad four since the middle of January. And I'm talking about eight straight games, nine out of ten games, rather, where they have played a quad four opponent. They get a big one against Murray State. Um, I really would actually encourage Dayton fans to keep an eye on that one. Belmont taking on Murray State Thursday night. That's a quad one game because those are the only two teams that are worth a shit in the Ohio Valley, and they are facing off against one another uh, down in Murray, Kentucky this week. So keep an eye on that game because Belmont wins. They automatically go back into the quad one. If they lose, they're going to stay right there at quad two until the end of the season. So that actually has pretty serious implications for the Flyers because that would immediately give them a third quad one win as opposed to the two that they have right now. <clears throat> going further down the schedule, the old Miss loss sucks and it really um, is not doing the Flyers any favors because Old Miss, frankly, ain't very good. Uh, they're 13 and 14 right now. They're one in nine against quad one opponents. So the loss to Old Miss, frankly, isn't great. And um, that was a game that Dayton probably should have won. And then, of course, the loss at George Mason is, frankly, right at the same level. Old Miss is at 106. George Mason's at 108, so you can kind of take those two losses, lump them together. They hurt just about the same, uh, same kind of gut punch to the stomach. 
And then everything else um, after the bad losses to start the year is explainable. Uh, you know, again, VCU, good team, came to UD one by one point. Um, George Mason, again, it, it's explainable. They won, they lost by one point, and then they went to St. Louis, and they took a pretty sound beating uh, at Chaffetz. But again, that's a quad one loss. That's not going to hurt you. So what we have left right now is two games that the Flyers absolutely have to take care of business, and that first one coming up, here, UMass on Wednesday night, and then they go back to Philly to play LaSalle uh, this coming Saturday. LaSalle is putrid this year, as they almost always are. They're 7-17 and overall. Uh, they are 0-3 in the quad one, 0-5 in the quad two. I mean, they, they really haven't beat anybody worth a damn, and uh, I don't foresee... Uh, this being a problem for the Flyers. Again, kind of the same thing that we talk about, or that I talked about rather at the top of the show, is that the the house of horrors thing in Philadelphia really just doesn't even hold water anymore. We're nervous because of historical precedents, but there really is no reason to be. LaSalle's a really bad team. St. Joe's is a really bad team. I know that you know Dayton historically it struggles at, struggles at LaSalle. That was kind of more of an Archie Miller thing. Um, he lost four in a row, never won at LaSalle. But everybody else uh, in Flyerland, you know, has kind of taken a loss here or win there. It, they've traded off. Even St. Joe's um, before that stretch I mentioned, where they lost seven in a row to St. Joe's. Before that, joining the conference to the time when they started losing seven in a row, they were four and four at Hagen Arena. So. Those are kind of things that we've fabricated over the years to explain away why we're losing in Philadelphia, but it's probably time to put those narratives to bed. Dayton as a program, if we you know want to take ourselves seriously, those are games you got to get in and get the win and go home well fed. Um, you know, quick highlights on the game on Saturday. Uh, I had to watch after the fact, and you know, frankly, what I saw was a game where Dayton dictated the pace. One thing that they've been really good at coming down the stretch here is imposing their defensive style on the opponent. And I thought they did a really good job of that on Saturday. And it started and ended with the three-point defense. The The key to the game going into to playing St. Joe's is that if they're making threes, they can beat you. And that's pretty much the only way that they're going to beat you. If you look at the metrics, specifically Ken Palm, Almost half of the attempts from the field for St. Joe's are coming from three-point land. 45% of their attempts from the field coming from behind the arc. That's almost top 30 in the country. There's only about 30 teams that shoot the three ball um, <clears throat> with more frequency than the Hawks. And, you know, look at the box score. That's exactly what Dayton did. They took away that three ball. Hawks finished eight for 22 from three-point land, and, and that was the focus. You know, Anthony Grant said it after the game. Um, <clears throat> that was the game plan going in. And then the other thing that I think that we've seen just a little bit, little by little, manifest with this team is the pace. Um, we talked about on the show a bunch of times that the Flyers had a tendency to slow down when we all wanted to speed things up. And then Brooks Hall came on a couple weeks after that, and he said, well, that's not AG's design. AG wants the team to get out. He wants the team uh, to get going and play with pace. And and now AG's kind of started to speak publicly on it, or at least you know in his interviews, and say they need to play quick but with purpose and not just play fast for the sake of playing fast. You know, they need to play quick without being in a hurry. And that was, I think why the flyers started to turn the ball over so much early in the season. And then early on in conference play was that 
they were in a hurry. But now that they take their opportunities in the transition and they're not playing in a hurry but still playing quick, it's manifested itself into more three-point buckets that they've gotten in transition and, frankly, better looks around the hoop. Um, A couple other things that I wanted to highlight from the game. Uh, Let's do a little segment about where I was right and where I was wrong here uh, to, to close out the opening to the show. You know, now that here we are, we're sitting here with... Uh, the Flyers right on the bubble conversation. Um, you know, some some games are, are doing the Flyers favors, others not so much. One thing that you know dead wrong about this season was that once the Flyers had started one and three, I think it was completely reasonable to write the season off and say that this thing was going to go south and this was going to be a rebuilding year. And I think it was even logical to think that the Flyers were going to struggle to go above 500, especially with what we had seen in the Grant era. First team he had went 14 and 17 last year, um, I think is, is a little bit of an outlier. But by the end of the year, like specifically when they lost to St. Joe's, it, it kind of felt like the season had slipped away and not so much that the guys didn't care, but the, that same energy fight just was not there towards the end of the season. So, you got to say it. Yeah, I was dead wrong about this team being able to turn things around, and they've done it on defense. Other thing I got to say that is dead wrong, and it's time to put it right here on the mic, is that Tumani Kamara can shoot the three. We went into the season saying there's no reason for this man to be shooting the three. He's a 21% career free uh, three-point shooter, and all of a sudden, in the last eight games now, he's shooting above 50% from three-point range. And you you could probably guess that that has opened up the floor considerably for the other things that the Flyers want to do on offense. This team is not going to get into track meets and beat people in March here by scoring 80 points. What they're going to do is lock you up defensively and try to win that battle to 65. And frankly, that's why Dayton's sitting here right now with a chance to win the conference and get to that Davidson game uh, at the end of the season for a, a chance to play for that title. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of great things coming down the pipe to be excited about, but business has to be taken care of first against uh, UMass, and then I said LaSalle, and then the the Flyers will obviously go and um, and take on Richmond. Couple of portions where we were right is that uh, <laughs> this team was going to be built on defense, and like I said, they. They are. They're built on defense. Um, I'll go back to another one that I was wrong. I thought Elijah Weaver was going to play a much bigger role for this team. And it's pretty clear at this juncture, I kind of thought he was going to be the starting point guard of the year. And I don't think anybody could have predicted how Malachi Smith was going to emerge. Um, But point blank, that was where I think a lot of us were wrong, is that Weaver hasn't been the guy carrying the ball every night. He hasn't been the guy chewing up 35 minutes. That certainly has been Malachi Smith. But uh, I would be remiss if I didn't go in and say that the one part that that uh, Mally's going to have to clean up here, and especially if the Flyers want to make a run in the A-10 tournament and maybe steal that at-large bid, is that Mally's got to clean up the two-point shooting. He had another bad night from the floor, two for eight uh, from two-point range, but saved that because he went six for six from the line and two for two from three-point land. So wrapping up a little bit more on that resume talk, um, I did some digging today just to take a look at historically where some of these teams have been placed in the tournament um, that are relative to where Dayton lands right now. Here's what I can tell you. 
Last year, in the first four, the last four teams that got into the dance, okay, stay with me, I'm almost there, Uh, here is a rundown of the numbers of the last four teams that got into the tournament. Wichita State was at 68, both in the net and Ken Palm. Drake snuck in. They were 31 in the net, 55 in Ken Palm. UCLA, who went to the Final Four, was 42 in the net. They ended up in 13 in Ken Palm because they obviously made that run to the Final Four. And then Michigan State, who was 81 in the net, 64 in Ken Palm. That was a flat-out joke that they got into the tournament. I digress for the sake of discussion. So right now, just like we said when we started the show here, Dayton's squarely in the middle of that exact conversation that we're talking about right now, right? Um, the Flyers find themselves with the net ranking at 40, uh, 40, 52. I was going to say 42, said 52. And then Ken Palm at 47. So they're certainly in that bubble conversation. The problem is they have top 50 metrics on the floor, but they don't have a top 50 resume to show for it. And when you look at the other teams that are surrounding them on the bubble right now, um, the NCA cutoff, the hypothetical cutoff usually hits around 48 or 50. Again, Flyers at 52. But the teams that are right in front of them, UAB, Davidson, Florida, Washington State, Mississippi State, and then SMU, who they lost to, all of those teams except for Washington State have two quad one wins, just like Dayton. All of those teams have three or less losses in the quad two, just like Dayton. They're five and three. I think you can see where I'm going with this. None of those teams have three quad four losses. So when I look at the big picture here and I say, is Dayton good enough to be a tournament team? The big problem is they have about eight to 10 teams to step over to get onto the right side of the bubble. And then even if they did, you're going to put their resume side by side with somebody else. Let's call it, I don't know, SMU, who they lost to. Or uh, if you want to put it next to Indiana, right? You're going to see that Indiana's two and five in quad one, three and four in quad two. Okay, those are comparable. And then you're going to get to the three losses and Dayton's going to get thrown out. The other really interesting aspect that I wanted to land on tonight and end this discussion with is what the committee is going to do with Dayton if they are one of the last four teams in the tournament. Let's say that Dayton does crawl their way up. They win six in a row. They get to Sunday the A-10 tournament. They lose in the championship game. We think they've done just enough to get into that that at-large bid. If you have Dayton as the last team in, the committee has been fairly outwardly saying that Dayton will never play a home game again in the first four. So is it more likely that the committee is going to move Dayton up three spots out of the first four, or is it more likely they'll move them back one or two slots and put them out of the tournament? And frankly, if the committee did that and moved them out of the tournament on the eye test or whatever the hell they like to say, that decision would be fairly easy and it would be justifiable. And that's pretty much all it ever comes down to with the committee when they go in front of the mic on CBS on Selection Sunday. They always have to have reasons for those top four, top five teams that get left out of the bracket. And similarly, they always have to have reasonings for the last four teams that they put in the tournament. And I think when push comes to shove and when you really get down to it, the Flyers 
probably will be on the outside looking in because it'll just be too easy to throw them out for those three wins that they suffered in November. All right, you listen to me long enough. It's time to do some UMass preview here for the game coming up on Wednesday night. Before I kick it over to my boy Stu, I got to remind you, um, even before we get to the commercial break, because this one's near and dear to my heart, before the commercial break, uh, that tonight's program brought to you by the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. If you're looking for a home in southwestern Ohio, look no further than the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. Put them into the old Google machine and you will find out that they are realtors you can rely on. All right, fam, quick break, and then we'll get to the other side where my guy Stu's coming on to preview UD against UMass on Wednesday night. Sit tight. We'll be right back listening to Talking Out Loud. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome back into the program. Uh, In case you haven't noticed by now, running solo for that uh, first 20 minutes. And if you stuck around for the entirety of my monologue, hats off to you. You really gave a shit what I had to say. And so I thank you, listener, for caring about my opinion regarding the Dayton Flyers. I can't do it alone. The entire show. No, nay. I would never leave you hanging like that. And frankly, it's because I don't know UMass very well. And that, my friends, is actually by design. So I got a friend from the internet, one of my Twitter pals on here. Uh, We've been going back and forth for years. And we've had Curry Hicks Sage on the podcast many a time, many a time to break down UMass. And before I bring on Stu, and I'll give him a proper introduction, what I need everybody to understand about the UMass fan base is that the phrase hope springs eternal has always applied to the people on UMass Twitter. And I applaud them for it because if my program that I supported was in the dumps quite like UMass is at this juncture, I would really have to reconsider the amount of time dedicated to said program. I say that with respect because the people that are forging ahead in in UMass Twitter and otherwise, they are a noble and honest bunch, and they're loyal to a damn fault. And so today, I bring on my friend Stu Ludicky. He uh, writes for Busting Brackets site, a UMass diehard self-described that way, and uh, he's a fairly knowledgeable source 
about the Minutemen. So, Stu, welcome to the program, man. I know it's the first time, um, but, you know, shake off those jitters because we're, we're going to jump into it. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Sully. <laughs> uh, before we, we jumped on, we were kind of talking about how you, you you've been doing this for what, about five years now. And uh, it gets a lot harder when you have a kid, doesn't it, man? Yeah, it gets impossible. So it's good to like any chance I get to chop it up on a pod, um I'll jump on because I've definitely been slacking in my uh my power ranking articles and things of that nature. So it's good to be yeah. here. Yeah. Um and, and you know, I have to say, like the reason why I give you guys so much respect, and it, it obviously comes with a, a little bit of the the back and forth on Twitter, but I do respect it to such a degree what you and Curry Hicks agent and all the other guys on UMass Twitter do because by like mid January, the last five years, you guys have been good and out of it and kind of known here's who we are, but you guys forge ahead anyways. And you still comment on all the games. You guys watch just about all of them. I always see people on UMass Twitter chopping it up. So Mm -hmm. I want to start there tonight. Like, what do you think keeps the diehard fan base or the core of UMass basketball fans intact, even through a stretch like this, where you know you haven't been to the NCAA tournament since 2014, haven't won 20 games in the same amount of time. Like, what do you think keeps the diehard fans coming back for more? Um, part of it, I think, might be just that community of us. You know, everyone feeling collectively the same things and able to vent about it. Um, UMass Twitter is just a great culture. Um, and as far as, you know, the team itself, even when we're bad, like, I feel like there's so many years, not every year, but so many years, there's, there's these little glimmers of hope that are reasons to think we could become relevant again, whether (laughs) it's Trey Mitchell, uh, you know, could he be the best player in the league or, you know, oh, you know, like going into this year, obviously nothing panned out this year, but like, oh yeah, we lost Trey, but now we're finally experienced because we bring in all these grad transfers. So mm-hmm. it's it's sort of a disease at the end of the day, but we always <laughs> find ways to like just milk optimism. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Just something yeah. in the water. Yeah. Um, but your other sports have to help at least a little bit, right? Like that hockey national championship, I bet bleeds optimism into other sports. Does it not? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, <laughs> yeah, and that's a much needed respite from the UMass pain. And that's, it allows us to get a breath of fresh air to dive back into the basketball side too. <laughs> you know, that, that national championship in hockey has will always have a special place in my heart because it was one in my hometown of Pittsburgh in my favorite place to watch hockey. So it'll always have that, that place for me, like right, right in my heart, man. I want you to know that. Hell yeah. I'm sure it was a magical night for all UMass people out there. It was, it was crazy. It was, I mean, I knew we had a good team, but I wasn't expecting to win the Natty five nothing like going away. So that, that was that was a very non UMass outcome, but very needed for all of us. I remember tuning into that game that night um, in solidarity. Of course, I was like, I have to watch UMass in the national championship. This I can beat my yeah. chest about the A ten. This is the perfect opportunity. <laughs> I have no dog in this fight other than 
hey, the A-10 is about to win a national championship. And I remember getting like super excited to watch the game, getting locked in. <laughs> it was very much over by the end of the second period, which I guess was super cool for UMass fans. Yeah. But I always go into watching the Frozen Four every year, hoping it goes to overtime and you, you duke it out. And then the guys get the celebration moment where all the hats and gloves go in the air and, you know, the, yeah. they have the sudden death goal. I mean, they got to celebrate in their own way, but that game was very much in hand by the time they got to the third. Yeah, there's there's pros and cons to both sides. It was nice to have it in hand, but I, it would have been nice to, like, score a empty netter at the end to seal it or something. But, but yeah, you know, we, we take natties however they come. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so shifting to the action on the floor again, Dayton taking on UMass uh, this Wednesday night. And Stu, you are just like every other guest on this show. You get some trivia. So hit the music. My trivia question for you tonight mm-hmm. Stu, is this is going to be the 15th meeting between Dayton and UMass at UD Arena since Dayton joined the league. UMass, of course, a founding member. I'll give you that trivia up front. You probably already knew that. Mm-hmm. How many games have the Minutemen won at UD Arena all time in those 15 meetings? Uh, I'm going to throw out a guess of three. Close. It's four. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Minutemen are four and ten at UD Arena all time. Do you want to try and take a guess at their record at home? Um, how many how many games has there been? Fifteen at- games at home, so they're they're almost even. This is fourteen okay. games at UD, fifteen games uh, at UMass. Ooh, I don't know if I want to say we've won more than half, so I'll say seven. You would have been right. Nine and six at home um, okay. at the Mullen Center, and then whatever the stadium was before the Mullen Center. What was it called? I can't remember. Oh, uh, Curry Hicks Cage. Yeah, the Curry Hicks. Oh, that's right. I swear, that's why I knew that because that's where his name's come from. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that leaves us with a 16 14 uh, all time series. Uh, sorry, 16 13 all time series uh, with UD having the very slight advantage. So. Um, that's, that's much more of a battle than I would have thought it was. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, man. Like, the last seven contests, you probably wouldn't guess this, but it's 4-3 UD. Like, UMass won three times in a row. They won four of five from 2015 to 2018, and then UD's won the last four. So I remember in McCall's first year, I think we swept, or was that back-to-back years? Because I remember there was a really surprising one at UD Arena when we had a skeleton crew. Oh, like they brutal. Yeah, it was just Pipkins and Randall West and who knows who. <laughs> um, I like that you called him a skeleton crew. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then there was the one at the Mullen Center where Pip hit like a, that was your like Josh Cunningham uh, team. And Pip hit like that weird buzzer beater half court shot that was like, did he get it off? And yeah, so th- those were a couple of good games. But has ever since uh, the OB era, it's been all you guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the year you're thinking about was 2018. That was uh, Anthony Grant year number one. Um, mm-hmm. The Flyers were were not good. They were not good at all. Um, you know, by our standards, of course. Like we finished 14 and 17, uh, ended up being eight and 10 in the league. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> the UMass team that finishes five and 13 in conference gets two wins against Dayton. It was like, yes, I, I remember those games being like, is this what we're in for in the Anthony Grant era? Like, God save us all. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it was yeah. the total opposite for us because we were like, all right, Matt McCall, uh, welcome, you know. <laughs> and now I think the both tables have turned, so here we are. Yeah, yeah. Dr- dramatically. I, I would say that this season, um, in Dayton Flyer fandom at least, it's kind of the same as the last three or last two rather in that – the Anthony Grant haters and the Anthony Grant supporters both kind of have legs to stand on, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Um, yeah. Like if you're it, like, whatever. Yeah. Like if you're an ardent supporter of Grant, you can say, look how he turned these young guys around and they're back on the bubble. But if you hate Grant and you, you know, don't think he's worth a damn, you can go, how the hell did all this talent lose three out of the first four games at home? against inferior opponents you can do both um but you bring up the the perfect segue here man um if i recall correctly you were in school when they made the switch to mccall right uh i was just out i i graduated in 16 and then did a grad year until 17 so he he came in as i was he took my place so for Flyer fans to back up a little bit who may not, uh, you know, may not care, let's just call it what it is. Um, that's why you listen to the show, because I make you care and I give you these nuggets of great information. Um, nine years of Derek Kellogg from 2008 into 2017. One tournament appearance to show for it, that 2014 year when the A-10 got six bids. Kellogg won over 20 games three times. One of the years they came really close to the bubble. They were 25 and 12, missed the tournament at nine and seven in the A10. And then he got let go in 2017 for Matt McCall in the Pat Kelsey fiasco. I'm not going to go into that, but that's another um, episode. That's, that's a whole episode. And I've, I've written about it like at length. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to get into that. Google mm-hmm. the Pat Kelsey press conference incident. You'll see it'll come up. Um, what was the feeling at that time? I know, you know, Curry Hicks been on, he's been well stated about the fact that he thought it was time for Kellogg to go. And then, you know, you brought in the young guy who was from Chattanooga. He was kind of like an up and comer, which is what you want at UMass. But like, what was your feeling at that time about letting Kellogg go and then, you know, replacing him with a younger guy? Um, I definitely thought it was time to see Kellogg go. I mean, I was a relatively new fan at that point and they, grand scheme of things because i became a fan when Chaz williams was there in oh yeah 2013 oh yeah Um, but since i was kind of you know i came into it in such a successful couple seasons and then saw the last of the Derek kellogg era um it was such a stark contrast to me that and that was all i knew so i definitely thought it was time for him to leave yeah i didn't really know what to make of matt mccall um but after his first year, uh, when he's performed surprisingly well, considering we had no one, I mean, we didn't win any games, relatively speaking. I mean, we went five and 13, like you said, but, but I mean, 13 was, and 20 with a team that frankly, like, you know, just sucks. Like that's not yeah. that bad. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah there was reason for hope. I, I wasn't a, necessarily a believer at first, um, but I, I hopped on board. So, you know, now we're five years into the McCall experiment. He still has yet to go over 500 in conference. Not going to happen this year. I mean, how has how has the discussion shifted in UMass land? You can inject your personal opinion on this or not. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how has that conversation shifted? I mean, from where I'm sitting, 
and you know, you know, I like to kind of call it out as like as blunt as I can be. Yeah. I think UMass is as far away from being relevant as any other program in the league because I just don't think that Matt McCall is a guy that's going to get it done. And the reason that I feel that way is that he gets out coached like pretty consistently in yeah. big games in the conference, and, and that's really what it comes down to. Like. Archie Miller, you know, couldn't beat Phil Martelli. He couldn't win at LaSalle. There were very specific times when, like, he would get outdueled. The difference was he typically was going to beat all the bottom feeders, and then there was, like, one bed shitter per year. But yeah. what I was looking for from McCall was, like, when, when the shit hits the fan and the game's in the last four, eight minutes, it's a close game, he's getting outdueled more often than not, and that's kind of been the case throughout all of his years now in the first two years you can kind of hand wave it he's getting his guys out there now it's like that's kind of who he is what are your thoughts on that yeah um out coached and just lays way too many eggs like there's yeah Duquesne has won one game this season and it was at UMass you know you just can't have that type of thing happen and it happens seemingly every year like last year uh, when we lost 75 to 51 uh, against GW at the Mullen Center. Like, oof. Th- these things can happen like once every couple years in a, in a good program, but they just they happen several times per year to us. And that's, that's not just something that's happened. That's, that's a symptom of Matt McCall as yeah. your head coach. So, yeah, but, the, but the, as far as, you know, how the conversation has shifted, I, I think everyone at this point is ready to see him go. I think it just took some people longer than others. And I, I was a McCall optimist for a lot longer than some people, but I'm like everyone else at this point, considering who's going to be the next head coach. Yeah. And in that same breath, do you think that UMass is best served with an up and coming coach? I mean, that's kind of what's worked, you know, going back to, I mean, Calipari years, right? Like getting the up and coming guy. That's kind of been the brand at UMass. Do you feel like they should kind of stay that route as opposed to maybe going after a a coach that's proven older coach? Um, Not like the name that pops into my head is like Rick Pitino type of guy. You're not going to put it my own. I'm just saying like, you know, an older dude who's proven. What do you think? Where do you land there? I mean, I've heard Archie Miller's uh, name thrown around. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you something. Morgan Miller would not be moving to Amherst, Massachusetts. (laughs) I'm going to tell you that right now. So if there are any UMass fans that think that's possible, I'm going to tell you why it's not possible. Her name's Morgan Miller and she ain't moving to Western Mass. I'm sorry, fam. Yeah, fair enough. I I, I don't think it's possible, but all all types of, you know, Patino. Patino that would be awesome. Here has been thrown around. All the names have been thrown out. Um, I, I'm into the. I'm just looking at guys like Kyle Neptune and Kim English, like actually bring some juice into their programs in the first year, and it. Yeah. I kind of want a guy like that, like a, a guy that's hungry, like Calipari was when he came here, as opposed to a guy that's just like moving down because he got outplay out coached in the Big Twelve or something, you know. You know, what's so interesting that you say that is that it's not that UMass finds himself like in the same position because, you know, for people that don't know, like when John Calipari took over in 1989, UMass hadn't won. They they hadn't been over 500 in like 
almost 15 years before that, right? And so what Calipari always said about this, and honestly, I'm paraphrasing most from the interview he did with with Curry Hicks like a couple of years ago, is that he said he had to change the culture at UMass. Do you feel like the coach that comes in after McCall has to change the culture? Or or is is there another problem that needs kind of patched up to, to get him back to relevance? Uh, it's hard to say. Cause at the end of the day, they just need to win. Cause when yeah, I know, you know, right. But when we win, we have a great, like the Mullins environment. Like the reason I became a UMass fan when I went there is because the environment was incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and the games were sold out and the student section was jumping. Like I, and, and now if you look at it, there's maybe like, a dozen students at these games. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know that anything like in terms of community outreach or anything like that, or like, I really think it just comes down to winning. Cause I think we have a community that loves basketball in Western mass and is hungry for good basketball. So we just need to engage them. Yeah. And, and you guys kind of have the same type of environment that, that we have in Dayton is like since you're surrounded by pro markets and you can kind of call Columbus like Ohio State like a pro market if you really want to. I mean, it's it's on that kind of level of fan support and money and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so you got Cincinnati, you got uh, you got Cleveland in the state, um, not that close to Dayton. And then, you know, pretty close, you have Indianapolis. So like what Dayton does have is a culture of people that care about college athletics. And I know that Western Mass is the same way because it's that chip on your shoulder versus like the people in Boston. It's a pro sports town. It's a pro sports area. Yeah. And I think that people take a lot of pride in saying, you know, we care about college athletics, number one. And number two, the reason it feels like it matters is the people and the people showing up and the people showing up for a winner is always going to inherently make you feel like it matters even though all we're talking about is college basketball. We say that all the time with Dayton. It's like, do these games really matter in the grand scheme of our lives? No, no, they really don't. But it feels like it matters because 10,000 people are going to Mullins on a Wednesday to watch UMass, you know, play Rhode Island or 13,000 are watching Dayton play UMass this coming Wednesday. Right? Like that's what you have to get back and inject back into the fan base. Right? Yeah. You can't explain why it matters, but, when you're there and watching it happen, you know, you know, that's, it's a feeling watching. It's a feeling that, yeah, you can't explain, but it's what brings people like me into becoming lifelong fans through, I mean, what these past six or seven years have been, you know? Yeah. And I mean, again, saw the same thing with Archie Miller. Like he rattled off four years in a row where we were relevant, making the tournament. And um, I'll tell you, you know, when I was at school, it it was hit or miss. Like some kids went to the games. Most kids kind of watched them on TV when we had a big game. But if we were losing, it was just hard to get fan support from students. Um, And they're they're the ultimate indicator of relevance, like in the area, you know, because in Dayton, people are going to show up kind of regardless. The students are like the great equalizer. Like they'll tell you if a game matters or not. If a game mm-hmm. matters, the student section will be full. They'll be fired up. Yeah. Um, Doesn't so, matter who it's against. You know. 
Exactly. Because, yeah. um, you know, people kind of need something to do from their day to day lives. They're going to show up regardless. But the students, they got a million other things they could be doing rather than going to the arena. So mm-hmm. that's why I was calling them you know, the great equalizer. Yeah. Um, getting a little bit further and getting closer to the action here on Wednesday. You know, what can Dayton fans expect from this version of UMass? And, uh, and, you know, how have they been winning games or conversely, like how have the wheels fallen off this season? Like what's gone wrong? So as far as style of play, we try to win by just outrunning teams and outshooting teams. And some nights it works and some nights it goes horribly wrong. Um, we play zero defense. Um, we kind of just say, <laughs> I love that about UMass this year. Like fuck yeah. defense. <laughs> it's sort of that, that whoever that coach of uh, Loyola Marymount was where they just tried to win like 120 to 110. It's, it's sort of like a, the diet version of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't have anybody guarding the rim. Um, we have some athletes on the wings, but not all of them expend full effort on that end of the floor. Um, Everyone on the team can shoot, which is our biggest pro. Um, and some nights that is great. Um, so as far as what you can expect, we're going to try to shoot the three as much as possible. Um, you're going to score a lot. You'll probably have 85 points. It's just a matter of can we that. also get up there. So, But you guys have been playing great defense in conference, so it's unlikely. I was gonna say uh, our strength is not scoring eighty five points in a night. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay that out there. <laughs> um, but, you but, know. but it might happen against us. Is, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's a time to do it. There has only been three games in conference that Dayton has broken eighty points. Um, they went to George Washington, scored eighty three. They had the thirty point blowout at VCU, which was like a, an anomaly. And then the other 80 point effort was, you guessed it, George Washington. Um, so, yeah, that, that's not our bread and butter. Um, if I had to say, I, I would say the game coming up on Wednesday is probably going to be closer to like the score you mentioned, like a 75 low 50s Dayton yeah. win. Um, and and I think I think you nailed it. Like if UMass is going to keep it close, they're just going to be hitting threes and it's going to be one of those nights, right? It's somebody like whether it's Noah Fernandes or TJ Weeks, somebody would have to play uh, much better than their typical self. Like somebody would need to go for 30. Yeah. Yeah. The metrics for Dayton fans, if you ever if you ever dive into this UMass team, um, the metrics are kind of hilarious because there is only five teams in the entire country that are better shooting the three than UMass. <laughs> However... There's sure. only 20 teams that are worse at defense. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty indicative of the team you've been watching this year. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just teams that have no business scoring in the seventies just do routinely. Like all our wins in conference play have been like 78, 74. It doesn't matter if it's like LaSalle or, or Duquesne, you know, Duquesne beat us 78, 74, the exact score that I just mentioned, but reverse. So we just, yeah. we, we have no business giving up that many points to bad teams, but here we are. And no one, no one knew this would be such a problem coming into the year. Everyone knew our offense would be better than our defense, but I mean, we thought maybe we could have like the 200th best defense, not like the 330th or wherever we're at. 
And the thing that actually surprises me the most is like out of all that offense that you guys can generate, you're still shooting 46% from two point land. That's good enough for 300th in the country. Like, how is that even possible that you guys are shooting three points under the national average at two point percentage, but six points above the national average in three? Like, that doesn't add up to me without watching the team. We are not great at getting to the rim. We have a couple guys like TJ can get to the rim, TJ Weeks, uh, Javon Garcia, when he plays, he doesn't play enough, but that's a whole nother issue. Uh, he can get to the rim, but on the whole, like even, even our quote unquote bigs, like Trent Buttrick, I say quote unquote, cause he kind of plays like a wing. Um, they're spending a lot of time at the three point line. So, and no one, none of our bigs, I mean, Michael Stedman is sort of physical, but none of them are extremely physical to the point where they're just imposing their will. Uh, around the rim. So we're not getting good looks inside the arc. We just pass it around the three point line and set off ball screens until somebody's open for a three. It's kind of just our style. Yeah. Yeah. So goals for the end of the season, we got what, like four games left. Um, It's gotta be to avoid the Wednesday night pillow fights, right? That's, that's the goal. Yeah. At this point, I mean, we're, I don't think there's a person alive who still has a goal of like, top four or anything like that (laughs) make a run well it's mathematically not possible but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah play on thursday win one you know i'm not gonna expect us to play on saturday but we can play on friday we can be one of the last eight around so there you go Yeah. yeah um in your opinion does mccall get let go at the end of this year yeah i think it's time i mean do you think the administration's like ready to make that move from what they've I mean it's been 5 years like it's not like they gave him a short leash or anything. And yeah, and I don't think he's been like I don't think he's been screwed over in terms of like covid or injury, you know, like this year coming into the year all that was talked about was okay, we're finally older because we have Rich Kelly grad transfer, uh Trent Buttrick grad transfer, like all these older guys, Michael Stedman, CJ Kelly. Um we don't have the youth excuse anymore and we're pretty deep. Like we're still for all our faults, we're pretty deep as far as like if our best players like Noah or TJ get hurt, we're probably going to look pretty similar out there. Um, And it just hasn't, I mean, here we are at 12 and 13, you know, and that's not after a lot of hype, we were picked to finish ninth and that's, basically where we're tracking, but there was a lot of reason to believe that McCall finally could have surprised us and outdone predictions. Um, And yeah, five, five tries to do that. And the only time he outdid himself was in year one. So not good enough. Yeah. I hear you. Last question before I let you go, Stu, if you had your pick, uh, who, who would you hire for, you know, money's not an object. Who would you hire for the next UMass coach? Try to be realistic as you can with that one. Um, man, I'll say I'll throw out a, a relative curveball, I guess, cause people, especially your listeners probably won't know, but, uh, the Merrimack coach, Joey Gallo. Um, Oh yeah. Merrimack you just took them into what D- they just went into D1 a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. And, and when you join D1, like, I guess is maybe it's the first year or the first couple of years, you can't go to the NCAA tournament, but correct. he, he won the NEC in his first year. So, 
I mean, they've been solid since then, but it's Merrimack, so you can't expect sustained <laughs> success. But I just like the idea of he's younger, he's hungry, and he's local, so he's got ties to, you know, let's let's make Massachusetts University, you know, geared towards New England kids. So, yeah, don't be putting yeah. the the hash Amherst on that. Don't be doing. Yeah. That. I know the rules. It's None it's that, UMass, yeah. not UMass Amherst, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, and let's let's get more kids who are coming from Connecticut and New York and and Massachusetts and instead of all these Florida and Tennessee kids that don't really care about being here. So hey man, we've been recruiting the Dominican Republic. That's been working out for us. So don't <laughs> don't knock it till you try it, man. You gotta get worldwide in this game. <laughs> yeah. You got Mongolian Mike coming, right? That's what I'm saying, dude. Like yeah. we're scraping the the bottom of the earth just about everywhere to figure out where, where talent is. So I mean, we've yeah. we got everybody coming in here, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> um all my guests get the final thoughts for the episode, and you're no difference, dude. It's great to have you on the program. I always love getting different perspective on UMass hoops. Um, if you want to find Stu, you can find him. Uh, he he has Stu Mass hoops right now on his Twitter profile, but it's S Ludicky L U D D E C K E ninety three. If you want to follow him during the game, or just give him a follow in general. He's blogging for Busting Brackets. But uh, again, Stu, great to have you on, man. I know it's the first time we'll do it again. But uh, what are your final thoughts for the evening before I take it out? Um, my final thoughts are uh, exactly like you said. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, love to chop it up with any, anybody and everybody about A10 Hoops. Um, not quite as active as I was pre-new pre fatherhood on yeah. the article writing, but uh, I'm – I'm always watching A10 games, um, and I'm always down to chop it up and go UMass. Let's let's get a surprise win. Let's let's bring that series even closer to even <laughs> in the AG era. So, oh, it would be all. It would just be far too apt. Like all the fan base is getting fired up about their at-large chances, and, <laughs> and oh then you God. lose to UMass. <laughs> I'm telling you, it would be so fucking on brand for Dayton to lose this game. Like, I don't think that they're going to, but like yeah. if they did, I wouldn't be surprised in the least. Like, and it's, it has nothing to do with the team on the floor. It's just like, a like I've resigned myself to just be like disappointed every time I'm like about to get my hopes up again. You know, like the, yeah. like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get hurt again. Type. Of You're thing. always, there's always a, a chance that the team that lost to UMass Lowell could rear its head. At some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. you just never know if that team's coming back out. Like I don't yeah. think so. But <laughs> what, what do you got for predictions? Um, I'm going to stick to to kind of what I said earlier. Um, I think the Flyers are playing. They're playing their style recently, and, and I'm saying that like they're dictating their defensive style on opponents right now, and that is kind of the number one thing that's led them to where they are to have a chance to win the conference. Like mm -hmm. they're playing it in a top, top 10, 15 defensive style. And I'm, I'm talking about in the metrics since conference play started and yeah. it teams have struggled to score 60 points against Dayton basically since conference play started. So I, I'm going to say the same thing. Um, I think you duty wins this game by let's say 17. I'll go 75 58. I think UMass doesn't get to 60. Um, I think that they force the issue in the second half and then Dayton's able to pull away. But um, yeah, they're just, 
they're playing so strong on defense that it's really hard yeah. to even get worried right now because the only way the team's going to beat them is kind of similar to what happened in Rhode Island. Dayton's got to have a really poor shooting night and the other team's got to hit their shots. So I guess that's, that's kind of the green light for UMass is that if, if they're hitting some three pointers, they can stick around the game, man. Yeah. Well, you you probably won't have a poor shooting night against RD, but we'll, yeah. we'll so. I don't know. We were two for 17 from two point range against Rhode Island. So uh, it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. But Let's hope. I'll say, yeah, say Rhode Island's defense a little, little bit better than, than UMass. So uh, that'll do it for our show tonight. Uh, like I told you, we'll be back at you with a rapid reaction after UD plays UMass late Wednesday night, probably early Thursday morning for most of you uh, that have to get up for work the next day. But uh, I'm going to take you out with a classic. Let's just hit my ears the right way the last couple of days. So it's going to be Take Me Out uh, by Franz Ferdinand, all-time classic alt-rock jam um, for Stu. I'm Sully. This is Talking Out Loud, where there are always two rules. You wear red and be loud. And we'll catch you on Thursday. See you.
Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 